0: This is TanakhCast. Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 55. We'll begin with a brief summation of the book of Joshua chapters 16 through 19 and follow with a consideration of fairness and lot drawing. This portion deals with boundary lines. Lines on the map for the house of Yosef, that is, Ephraim and Menashe. And with each instance of boundary marking, Yeshua also reminds us which city states survived the Jewish onslaught, such as Gezer, but they did not survive unscathed. They are, quote, subject to forced labor. Chapter 17 also calls back to Tzlovchad in the matter of his seven daughters who inherited from their father as Moshe decreed and recounts how the people of Ephraim and Manasseh complain that their tribal plot is too small. Joshua urges them to expand into the forest of Israel and the hills of Galilee, but they cannot or will not because they don't have iron chariots, while Beit She'an's army does. Eventually, but not before Yahushua dares them, they muster their numbers and eventually force Beit She'an, Yivla'am, and the people of Doar, Endor, Ta'anach, and Megiddo into a state of submission." Chapter 18 recounts how the remaining tribes gather in Shiloh, where the tent of appointment stands, to demand their inheritance. Yoshua instructs each tribe to send three men out to survey the land, and when they return, he will divide the surveyed territory into seven equal parts and distribute it. By lottery. Yes, by lottery. The first to come up in the Canaan Pick Seven is Benjamin. They're to be sandwiched in between Yehuda along Yehuda's northern frontier and Ephraim and is south. The second is Shimon, who receives a portion of Yehuda's territory as, quote, The share of the Judahites was too large for them. The third is Zvulun, who gets a plot in the north along Sadi Sachar, the Vermont and New Hampshire of Canaan. Asher, Naphtali, and Dan also receive plots, with the latter settling along the southern coast. But when the Danites are pushed out by the local potentates, they too move north. Long last, Yehoshua receives his allotment to the town of Serach in the hills of Ephraim. And with that, the lottery is complete, and all the tribes are tucked into their promised lands. Thus endeth the summation, and beginneth the consideration. In episode 12, you know, that one about Joseph... Yep, that one. I explored oneiromancy, or dream interpretation, and in light of the outright ban on divination in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, I had asked, was this kind of dream interpreting shenanigans permitted? And, had, and I had answered it back then with, it depends. Here, too, we have another example, Claromancy, a form of divination which employs the casting of lots or bones or stones, the outcome of which is not regarded as a random draw, but reflective of divine will. So the next time someone says, let's draw straws to see who get, who where we'll have dinner, agree, because the winner is God's choice too. This is not the first time that law casting has been used in the Tanakh. We had the casting of lots to determine which goat is for the Lord and which is for Azazel in Leviticus 16. This is divine will. Achan ben Carmi was exposed as the taker from the harem by the casting of lots in Joshua chapter 7. This too is divine will. What's interesting to note is that in both cases, having the lot fall on you is not a good thing. But here in chapter 19, having the lot fall on you is like hitting the lotto 649. Or at least it's not like that Shirley Jackson short story, if you know what I mean. In this sense, claromancy serves a higher purpose and has nothing to do with idolatry. The higher purpose is fairness assuming the lots were drawn without tampering one could not possibly contest a purely random outcome the goat to azazel could not bleat about favoritism or nepotism or any other claim that would imply bias in the part of the high priest achan could not have said that his condemnation was a low-tech lynching of an uppity judahite these outcomes are what god wants <laughs> Indeed, one couldn't say that Zvolun landing a plot along the northern coast while Don claimed the southern was unfair in any way. That's how the lot was drawn. It's for this reason that ancient Athenians entrusted their precious democracy to sortition, a variation of lot drawing. Aristotle wrote in his work Politics that, quote, it is accepted as democratic when public offices are allocated by lot and as oligarchic when they are filled by election. Public offices were allocated by lot. Take that, Citizens United! Aristotle believed that since, quote, all are alike free, therefore they claim that all are free absolutely. The next is when the Democrats in the grounds that they are all equal claim equal participation in everything. And so, according to Aristotle, lot drawing is fair and just, and more importantly, resistant to the corrupting practices oligarchs would otherwise employ to grab power. Could you imagine how lot drawing would work in a continental democracy with universal suffrage? Considering how Canada's parliament is stacked these days, I don't think we could do any worse. And looking at the U.S. Congress's dysfunction, well, draw your own conclusion. In the case of Yoshua, claromancy serves to apportion resources, that is, the unclaimed land of Canaan, which is to be shared out equally between seven tribes. And now I'm sure you're thinking, you mean the tribal inheritance will be determined by lottery? One hand goes in one hat, while another goes into a second, That's it? That's right! Is there any fairer way to determine which tribe will settle the coastline and which will settle in the hills? Perhaps each tribe should select a champion and have the seven individuals fight to the death while everyone else watches and the winner gets six allotments and leaves the other six tribes to cram into one. Or perhaps the richest tribe should buy all the allotments they can afford and leave the crumbs for everybody else. Well, that sounds fair, and when I say that sounds fair, I actually mean that is completely unfair and unjust. I was being ironic. In a sense, cleromancy and sortition serve as a harsh rebuke to the notion of might makes right. And in the case of tribal allotments, might has no place in the discussion. And if you couple the purely random lot drawing, which establishes land ownership in the default position with the once in seven year Shemitah or release and the once in 49 year Yovel or Jubilee, Two national holidays where debts are cancelled and land reverts to its original owners, you have a true bulwark against injustice. A tribe or individual, because of geographic luck or other machinations, cannot snore more than their share, regardless of how much money they have or how much power they wield. So, who would have thought that two of freedom and equality's best tools are a hat and some pieces of paper? Surely not me. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. If you liked what you heard today, tell a friend, send them an email to say, hey, you should check out TanachCast." Or you could do the social media thing and like Tanakhcast at the show page on Facebook or Google Plus. Or you could leave a kind word in the comments section at thenextjew.com or write a brief review at the iTunes store. Or find Tanakhcast at Stitcher Smart Radio or SoundCloud and leave a kind word there. It's a small thing, really, but it will help me and help other people find Tanakhcast. I thank you in advance for that. And encourage you to come on back and join us next week-ish for episode 56, when we conclude the Book of Joshua with chapters 20 through 24.